You can be seated. So great to have you here as we're uh, continuing on in our amazed uh, sermon series that we are looking at uh, some of the, the miracles uh, that John in particular records. Uh, there's these eight signs uh, that point to not just uh, what Jesus accomplished, although certainly the, the miracles are about that, uh, but they more point in John's book, they more point to who he is. And each of these miracles are trying to teach us uh, something important about our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Uh, so before we get into the text, I, I do want to uh, let you know uh, some sad news that a longtime uh, member here, Virginia Wilhelm, passed away uh, this last Monday. And uh, her. I want to ask you and invite you to be praying for her family as they're grieving and, and saying goodbye and all of that stuff. Um, her funeral is tomorrow and uh, at Graceland Fairlawn. Now, the, the seating for that funeral is going to be very, very limited. I think uh, I think I heard somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 people. So there's not going to be very many seats there. So the funeral home is live streaming uh, that funeral. Uh, so if you wish to be a part of that, we will have that link uh, on our church Facebook page. And it will be also, also be on Graceland Fairlawn's website. So if you want to go to Graceland Fairlawn and uh, link there or just go to our church Facebook page, you can find it there. Uh, and I know the family would appreciate you. Um, watching and, and just encouraging them kind of from a distance. But there's not going to be very many seats available at the funeral, just kind of where we are with uh, COVID-19. So um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get into this text, all right? Heavenly Father, uh, we do want to uh, pray uh, for Virginia's family and um, the, the grieving and um, the, the saying goodbye for now, but with their um, hope and belief in the resurrection, um, they, they know they'll see her again. And so we... we grieve, but not as those who have no hope, because we do have hope. So want to thank you for that hope as well. We want to pray over this text as we study together today, uh, an important text in understanding uh, who your son is and what he came to do and, and what he came to be. Uh, would you um, just get me out of uh, your way and out of the Spirit's way in terms of what needs to be communicated this morning? And again, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Comedian uh, Jim Gaffigan says that vacation really is just about going to a different location in order to eat. And uh, I, I have to say there's a little bit of truthfulness to that, that when you think about the, the last couple of vacations you've been on, when I think about the last couple of vacations I've been on, they really do kind of revolve to a certain extent uh, around food. You know, it's like, man, there's this pizza uh, with a crust that you have to try. There's a sandwich that is killer, a donut that will blow your mind, a bread appetizer that everyone is buzzing about. And we tend to be fascinated and a little obsessed by bread. I actually stepped into the controversy, didn't realize I was doing it, but I said, what, very early on in the pandemic, it was like, what is your favorite pre-dinner bread that is served at a restaurant? And it got a little bit heated, right? Um, I, I kind of feel like overwhelmingly, a lot of people felt that Olive Garden was the winner of that competition uh, with their breadsticks. I know uh, my son Sam certainly would feel that way. He loves those breadsticks. He doesn't, we actually don't even usually order them a meal anymore, to be honest. We just let Olive Garden feed them for free. So, um, and uh, but a lot of places do offer kind of pre-dinner bread. And bread is a really interesting thing because it, can, it has a lot of different functions. It can sustain you. Uh, bread is a really important uh, commodity in a lot of third world nations. It can satisfy a craving. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the experience before of being like on South Beach or Atkins or like a low carb diet. And it, when you go off that diet, 
Whatever it is, the first bread that you eat is the best bread you've ever had in your life. It can be a stale piece of wheat bread. Like, oh, this is so delicious. All I've been eating is meat and cheese for three months, you know? Um, and uh, bre- bread can be a treat. You know, banana bread, we call it bread, um, but let's be honest, it's just dessert, right? We're like, oh, I'm, I'm not gonna have dessert. I'll just have some banana bread. No, you're eating dessert, right? <laughs> now cover it in icing, you know, it'll, I'm not gonna have dessert, just banana bread. You know, it, bread uh, can enhance a meal, like we talked about, a lot of restaurants, a, a lot of fine dining establishments will start you out with bread. Hey, before you get to your appetizer, we just wanna serve you a bunch of bread because we love you and we care about you, yeah? Um, Bread performs a lot of different functions. And in John chapter six, which is where we're gonna be today, uh, Jesus is gonna uh, do a miracle and then he's gonna do a teaching like he often does. You'll notice that a lot of these miracles are followed by a sermon. And this miracle is no different, that Jesus is gonna do a miracle and he's gonna follow up with a teaching about how he is like bread. Now, to understand this miracle, if you walk with me just a little bit, to understand this miracle, we actually have to go back in your Bibles all the way to Exodus 16. In this story, God's people had just been released from their slavery in Egypt. Uh, they'd been there for a long time and they end up leaving Egypt and they're heading to modern day Israel. But in order to get there, they have to travel through the desert. And so they're in the middle of the desert. It is hot, hungry, they are hot, hungry, and tired. And if you have children or grandchildren, you know that's a bad combo, right? If you're married to me, you know it's a bad combo, right? If I'm hot, hungry, and tired, it's usually, you know, a a fit is going to ensue by either the kids or me, one of the two. And this is exactly what happens in Exodus. The people are hot, they're hungry, they're tired, and they begin to grumble about their their situation. They've been freed from slavery, but they're in the desert. And listen to what they say. This is really interesting. They said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt— There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Moses, we know what your plan was. Your plan was to take us from those pots of meat that we just dined all day long on, which did not happen, but but, this is their memory of being in slavery where they were worked literally to death. But you dragged us away from these pots of meat and you have brought us into this desert to starve the entire assembly. And if I'm Moses, now admittedly, I'm uh, part of the cynical generation, but if I'm Moses like, you caught me. You know, that's why I left everything in my life that was comfortable and came and confronted Pharaoh and helped you guys get released. I brought you out here to starve, guilty as charged. But Moses doesn't do that and God doesn't do that. God actually does something kind of extraordinary in this moment, extraordinarily graceful, where the people are hungry and they're hot and they're tired. And here's what God says. He says, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. You're hungry? You think I've abandoned you? You think I've left you? I will rain down bread from heaven to you. And and that's exactly what he does. And there's only one rule. This manna comes down each and every night. And the only real rule associated with it was take what you need for the day. When you get up in the morning, you're going to walk out of your tent and you're going to see this manna all over the ground. Take just what you need for the day. Uh, The only exception to this was preparing for Sabbath. They said you can take for two days that day. But the rest of the day, I want you to take just what you need. And guess what? You take what you need on Monday, guess what's going to happen on Tuesday? You're going to walk out of your tent, and man, it's going to be all over the ground. Guess what's going to happen Wednesday? Man, all over the ground. Day after day after day, I will provide for you. 
I mean, and Moses, when the people first got the bread, it was something like they'd never really had before. And so <clears throat> it was kind of started to refer to as like, what is it bread? Which ended up getting translated into manna. But they're like, what is this? And here was Moses's response. He said, it is the bread the Lord has given us to eat. Isn't that beautiful? And every single day they walk out, what is this stuff? It's unlike anything we've had before. It is the bread the Lord has given us to eat. Day after day after day after day, they would wake up and discover anew that God had provided for their needs. This story became so important to the people of Israel that they would use it in writings to encourage one another. Hey, remember uh, when God provided for us in the desert? Don't think that God has given up on you now. God's gonna provide for you again. They would write songs about it. Uh, This story would appear in songs to remind people about God's provision and God's grace. Uh, Jesus taught us that it found its way into their prayers. When Jesus taught them to pray, remember he said, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a nod to this story that don't um, remember that God is going to provide for you. God is going to take care of you. Now, one of the other ways this found its way uh, amongst the Israelites was that this story started to be taught by scholars and by teachers. And here's what they said about this story. They said, someday when the Messiah comes, someday when the king comes, Someday uh, when, when um, the, the prince comes, someday when God comes to rescue us from our sins, the way you're going to be able to recognize him is he is going to duplicate this miracle. And they believe that with their whole heart, that, that the way that God provided for the people in the desert, when the king comes, when the savior comes, he will duplicate this miracle. And... Um, We talk about this um, a few times a year, honestly, this story, but a few thousand years later, Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and he goes up on a mountain and he intends to teach just his disciples. But before he knows it, a huge crowd forms, 5,000 men plus women and children. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, man, this is a huge crowd. I'm gonna be teaching all that. Where should we get, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? And Philip, the practical disciple, says eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for all these people to eat. You know, kind of, are, are you crazy, Jesus? Eight months' wages wouldn't do it. And then Andrew, who was inclined a little more probably to a faithful attitude, he finds a boy who ha- brought like a, a happy meal of five small barley loaves and a few small fish. That's all he had. And not very much food. And I'll tell you something about modern-day Happy Meal. It won't even feed a nine-year-old and a two-year-old. I can guarantee you that, all right? So this is not going to feed very many people. Jesus tells them to sit down. He blesses the food. And the miracle in this story is that he feeds all of those people with such a small amount of food. Five small loaves and two small fish. And he feeds thousands and thousands of people. And listen to what the text says. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. This is the guy we've been waiting for. This is the new Moses. This is the Savior, the Messiah. Remember, he was going to replicate. We've been taught since we were children that the Messiah would replicate and duplicate the miracle in the desert. This is the duplication. This is the replication. This is the Savior. And and Jesus is going to withdraw from the crowd because it says they intended to make him a king by force. He withdraws from the crowd. He goes to the other side of the lake. They follow him around uh, to, to the other side of the lake. And it's when we get to the other side of the lake that Jesus begins to preach to them. 
And here's what, here's what he's going to teach them. They were right about who he was. He was the Messiah. He was the king. He was the one who had come. But they were wrong about why he came. They were right about who he was. They were wrong about why he came. They were wrong about his mission. And because they misunderstand the miracle, as we're going to study, because they misunderstood the miracle, they end up missing Jesus. So John 6, we're going to start in verse 25. I want to read the whole thing. If, if you'll let me, I'm going to do it anyway, but it's polite to ask. Um, I'm going to read the whole thing because I want us to see a good, a, a good scope of what happens in this story. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. So they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? You know, they act like they just bumped into him. You know, they followed him. Um, what are you doing here, Jesus? Yeah, we just strategically had to cross a huge lake to get to you. But um, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the desert, in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Skip down to verse 53. Jesus said to them, this is where it gets a little bit odd, but we'll explain it later. Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus is going to show us two mindsets where they misunderstood this miracle. And because they misunderstood this miracle, they misunderstood Jesus. And his first thing that he wants to teach them is in verse 27. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. He says, here's your problem. Here, here's your mindset. Is that you are working for and looking for food that spoils. 
You want the Savior, you want the Messiah to give you food that is going to look good and smell good and be good for you. And Jesus is saying, I am telling you, that may look good in the moment, but at the end of the day, it is food that spoils. You're following me because you want me to do something for you. You're you're telling me to do a miracle because you want to see something unique. You want to see something special. You want to, you want to see me uh, do something extraordinary. Uh, you, you want me to be the king that is going to kick Rome out, who's occupying Israel at the time. You, you may want me to heal someone or do something extraordinary. And it's not that that stuff doesn't matter, but he says it spoils. He says, I have a bigger and greater plan for you that we'll get to in a minute. And I think we can get it turned around on this just a tad bit, because a lot of our culture is built on food that spoils. Uh, I started uh, working when I was fairly young. Uh, I picked strawberries uh, one summer. I worked on a farm. Uh, I did Domino's Pizza for a while. I worked at a racetrack and food services, uh, which isn't as glamorous as it sounds. But um, I know you guys are like, whoa, <laughs> worked at a racetrack and food services. I was the king of the elephant here. Not, no need to brag, we're in church. I should be humble. But, um, and, uh, so I started, and, and one of the reasons I started working so early is a lot of times uh, the conversation with my dad would go like this. My dad was blue collar, worked at General Motors his entire life, didn't particularly enjoy his job, but did it because he had a family. And I'd say, Dad, I really want like fill in the blank. And I can't even remember what this stuff was. Dad, I really want fill in the blank. Would you buy it for me? He says, oh, you really want, you know, whatever it was, bike, video, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know CD, whatever. I, I almost said video game, but that... Wouldn't have made sense because my parents didn't let me have that stuff. Not that I'm bitter. But, um, and so I would ask for this stuff and my dad would look at me with this kind of cheesy little grin. He says, wow, you really want that, don't you? So yeah, dad, I really, really want that. He says, it sounds to me like you need a job. And I got the hint very quickly. It sounds to me like I need a job too. And, and so very uh, early, probably before it was even legal, um, I, uh, I started working and I started working so I could buy stuff, honestly, that spoils. Here I am a grown adult and I can't even tell you what this stuff was that in the moment I wanted it so bad. I, I wanted it so bad, but at the end of the day, it wasn't eternal and it wasn't what matters most, and we can carry this into our relationship with Jesus very early. Um, I've heard this referred to, and I've always liked it a lot. I heard it years ago, but uh, that sometimes we treat Jesus like a vending machine, that we kind of walk up to him and we're going to push the button of what he want him to do. And whatever our heart's desires, whatever we want, we're going to push the vending machine button and he's going to deliver. And it's not always, but often it is food that spoils, that we're, man, I need a nicer house, Jesus. Let me push the button, or I need a new job, or I want to live in a different location, or, or whatever. And it's okay to ask for stuff that you want to ask for, but just know a lot of stuff that we ask for is not going uh, to last forever. You know the work that Jesus wants to do? He wants to fortify your faith. He wants you to draw closer to him. He wants to prepare you for eternity, and often those items are not found on the vending machine. All right, vending machine, Jesus, uh, what do I want you to do for me today? Teach me patience, said no one ever. Right? Make me stronger, you know, build my faith strong. No, we're not pushing those buttons. Like new car, you know, new house, you know. And, but the things that Jesus wants to do are eternal. And sometimes they're hard and they're challenging. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. 
So like the work that God's doing is he wants to get rid of your hate so that you can be ready to love people for all of eternity. He wants to get rid of our unkindness so that we can be ready to be kind forever. He wants to get rid of our impulses so that we can live a self-controlled life forever. Those are the things that are gonna last forever. And they may not be in a vending machine, Jesus, but they are valuable and they are good and they are eternal. This is what it says is don't work for food that spoils, work for food that endures to eternal life. This is the work that God is doing. I love, I love how the people respond because they ask, so what is, all right, Jesus, that, that's what God is doing. He's working for food that endures to eternal life. What are you calling us to? What, what is the work that God requires of us? What do you want us to do? And Jesus's answer is very, very simple. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in his way. Believe in his work. Believe in his example. Love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Follow him and watch him begin to do this work of fortifying your faith and making you stronger and preparing you for eternity. Watch him do this work that will endure for all of eternity. And it's not like asking for some of that other stuff is wrong. It's not that it's wrong, but we just have to remember that a new fill in the blank or, or whatever the case may be, those things are not going to last for all of eternity. And the things that God is working on that maybe we wouldn't even think of as the vending machine thing, the things that God is doing will last for all of eternity. And he has a meaning and he has a purpose and he has a plan for why he's doing it. All right. So he says, don't work for food that spoils. The second mindset they had wrong is in verses 30 through 33. So they ask him, what miraculous sign? I just kind of hear the, hear the cynicism, I think is the right word, in this request. What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? Jesus, what are you going to do next for me so I can believe? And whenever I hear, I sometimes hear this question in kind of modern day Christianity, and like I said, I tend to be a little more sarcastic and cynical, but every once in a while I have this thought when someone's like, you know, what's Jesus going to do to prove himself to me? The resurrection? I, the resurrection was kind of a big deal, right? He was dead, and then three days later he wasn't anymore, right? It's kind of a big show and tell if you're showing and telling, right? Um, Jesus had proved himself, but um, he said, and here's the thought behind it that they say, so our forefathers they got to eat manna in the desert. They got this extraordinary miracle. They got to eat manna in the desert. Jesus, what are you going to do for us? And I love what Jesus says. He corrects them, first of all. He says, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. All right, so kind of track with what's happening here. They're like, Moses gave us bread. You're the new Moses. What bread are you going to give us? And Jesus says, hold on just for a second. Was it Moses that gave you that bread? Or did your forefathers walk out of the tent and it was just there? That it rained down from heaven. Did Moses do that? Or did God do that? Right, so he's just a little bit of a correction here. He says that, that your, Moses didn't even have to pick the bread up. 
The people walked out of the tent and, and, they, and they picked up the, the bread and Jesus is correcting them that, that the sign of the Messiah is not going to be a what. All right, so they're saying the sign of the Messiah was Moses gave them bread. We're looking for a new Moses who's gonna give us bread. So what Jesus, what are you going to do? And he says, no, the sign of the Messiah is not a what. The sign of the Messiah is gonna be a who. All right, so just kind of tuck that away just for a minute. See, because here's what happens. Is we often first come to church because we think our greatest need is a what? That I need Jesus to, to, to handle this situation. I need Jesus to handle this big what in my life. And a lot of people first come to church because something's falling apart, something's broken, something needs fixing. And they come to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, I need you to do a what? And Jesus wants to press in on us just for a little bit. And he says, what if you just thought that was your greatest need? You thought your greatest need was the what? And there's a lot of what's in this pandemic right now. So we have a lot of things that we want Jesus to do right now, right? And truthfully. But he says, what if your greatest need was not a what? What if your greatest need is a who? Jesus knew they were in danger of missing the illustration. Look at what he says in verse 32. Um, you're going to miss what God is doing here because you think it was Moses who gave the people the bread in the desert. Moses didn't do that. God did that. So they're missing the illustration. Here's what they think is the illustration. Moses gave us bread. Who's the new Moses that will give us bread? The illustration according to Jesus is this. The illustration's not Moses. The illustration is bread came down from heaven. Bread came down from heaven. And bread is going to come down from heaven again. You say, well, how's that, what, how's that different from a what to a who? How, how are those two things different? And Jesus tells us very next in verse 41. Makes it super clear. Put it on the screen for you. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread that came. The, the, the Exodus illustration is me, Jesus is saying. It's not Moses gave us bread. Who's the next Moses that's going to do something for us? That's going to fix some problem that we have, political, social, economical. Who is the next Moses that's going to fix the next thing? And Moses, well, Jesus is like, well, first of all, Moses didn't do that. God did that. But second of all, the illustration is not the what. The illustration is the who. I am the new bread. I am the manna that came down from heaven. That just like God provided bread for the people in the, the desert, Jesus says, God has provided bread for you again through the work of Jesus Christ. So in the Exodus illustration, when you hear about manna, that's not a what, that's a who, that's Jesus. That's pointing us to Jesus. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And if you wonder what that means and what that looks like, Jesus gives a series of promises. There's three of them. And I want to, that kind of highlight what he means by this idea that I'm the manna. In the illustration, I'm not Moses, I'm bread. I'm the bread that came down. And here's the first one, verse 35. <clears throat> Excuse me. I am the bread of life. I'm going to say that again and again. I am the bread of life. I am the manna. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. It says you're looking to be satisfied. You're looking for fulfillment. But Jesus is challenging them. I'm telling you, you're looking for it in food that spoils. You're looking for it in 
stuff or money or travel and all that stuff. He says, look for satisfaction in Jesus because he is the one, I don't care what Snickers says, he's the one that truly satisfies, right? Satisfaction doesn't come in a what? Satisfaction comes in a who. So one of the things I believe, I say this to you guys all the time, is that I believe you were created to know, honor, and worship Jesus. That God placed that desire inside of you and we can never experience lasting eternal satisfaction. We can experience on some levels. I mean, we don't wanna be foolish. It feels good to buy stuff. Right, the, the what's of life do feel good. The, 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 the items of life do feel good. So we can experience it on some levels, but you and I will never experience lasting satisfaction until we know Jesus. There's a kind of dark uh, book about this in your Old Testament uh, called the book of Ecclesiastes. And in this book, Solomon is trying to find satisfaction. And in the book, uh, he goes to women and work and money and riches and all of this stuff. And every single time, It's just not satisfying him. And at the end of the book, here's what he says. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Come to God, come to Jesus. And um, here's what this pandemic has done. It has taken away a lot of our what's, right? A lot of the things that we have turned to uh, as, as comfort, a lot of those things have been taken away from us. So Jesus is inviting us, come to me. And some of us in this room, we are so hungry and we are so thirsty, and we have tried everything, but we haven't really tried Jesus. And he promises that whoever comes to him will never go hungry, never go hungry. They will never go thirsty. And when I say Jesus, I don't mean like, try what he can do for you, see if what he does for you will work. I mean, try him. It's not a what, it's a who. So know him, worship him, follow him, obey him, be in relationship with him and see if he is who he says he is. Verse 37, next promise. All the father that gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, here's the promise, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, here it is again, I'm the manna, I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, Uh, that I shall lose none that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. I've been tall, big, and unathletic my entire life, right? You see pictures of me like in sixth grade. So one of my, and I'm big, tall, and unathletic. It's my cross to bear, right? So I I have to answer questions about basketball constantly. I stunk at basketball, Um, if I could, if God would have given me, you know, a little bit of uh, athletic ability, I would have been independently wealthy and serving him that way. That's not what happened. All right, so my least favorite day in gym class was dodgeball. And they would always appoint a couple captains and they'd pick the teams. And because I'm big, tall, and unathletic, I wasn't good at dodgeball because I couldn't dodge the balls. I was an easy target. I couldn't dodge the ball. Uh, and so I was always, always, always like picked last. And you know, I was like, all right, Steve, you're gonna be over there because you're, you're, the, you're the last one there. And I think sometimes this translates into our relationship with Jesus. It's like he would never want me. He would never choose me. After everything I've done, after all of my sin, after all of my mistakes, after, after everything that's happened, he would never, ever 
pick me, and I want you to see the promise again. Whoever comes to Jesus, the Greek word whoever, you know what it means? Whoever. Whoever comes to Jesus will not be driven away. There is no stiff arm with Jesus, right? The manna didn't come down from heaven to give life in the world to hold you at a stiff arm. There is no, I don't want you with Jesus. There is no, you can't be on my team with Jesus. There is no, you're not good enough with Jesus. Whoever comes to him, whoever comes to him is welcomed in. So here's what that means. If you have tried satisfaction at every place, and during this pandemic, with so many of our what's being taken away, you're like, I, just the stuff I'm trying is not working. And you're like, I want Jesus to lead me to a satisfying life. I want Jesus to be my bread. I want Jesus to be my water. I, I want that bread and water from heaven. If you want that, come to him, you'll be accepted. Come to him, you'll be accepted. I talk to people all the time that a lot of times they'll throw up their hands like that. That's why I keep doing this. But no, 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 not me. It's everybody else but me. He doesn't understand what I've done. He doesn't understand my family. He doesn't understand what I've said. And you just need to know that's not biblical. That's not even the life of Christ. When he walked around on the earth, he was hanging with prostitutes and uh, multiple divorced uh, men and women. You see him interact with tax collectors, the most hated people of their society, because there is no stiff arm with Jesus. There is not whoever but not you. There is none of that in the gospel. The gospel has come to me. All who are weak and heavy burdened, all who have made mistakes, all who have sinned, all who have regretted, come to me, Jesus says, and I will accept you. All are accepted at the foot of the cross. So if you want this satisfying life, come to Jesus and he will embrace you. He will forgive your sin and he will show you a rich and satisfying life. He came for people. You know what Jesus said one time? Like, man, Jesus, you're hanging out with sinners, like quotation marks, sinners. And I don't think they did this in the first century, but that's how it would have been, you know. Sinners, hanging out with a lot of sinners, Jesus. She says, I didn't come for the healthy. Remember what he said? I came for the sick. I came for the ones who needed a doctor. So no stiff arming with Jesus. It's open embrace. You come to me, come to me, and I will accept you, and I will give you a rich and satisfying life. Verse 40, one last promise. For my Father's will is that everyone, Greek, very complicated Greek word for everyone, means everyone, right? For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I want you to notice that he separates the idea of eternal life from the resurrection, and the reason he does that is very simple. That when you place your faith in Jesus, when you, say, when you understand that you, when you come to him, he forgives your sin and you're accepted, and you run to Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, you are beginning your eternal life right then. Now, you are living your eternal life right now in a broken and fallen world, unfortunately, where people sin and politics are difficult and pandemics happen, but we are 
living our life of joy, hope, and peace right now. Someday, either we will die or Jesus will return, whichever comes first, and someday he will take us to a perfect place where we will continue to live our eternal life. We will just live it in a perfect place then. But make no mistake about it, through the work of Jesus, in this broken and fallen world, you are living your eternal life right now. Which means that right now, in Christ, joy is available to you. I know there's not much joy in the world right now, but in Christ Jesus, it is available to you. Hope, there's not much hope in this world right now, but in Christ Jesus, hope is available to you. Peace, don't even get me started on peace right now, right? We are a disjointed and fragmented society. Peace, but in Christ Jesus, it is available to you. You just have to run to him and you just have to want it. In Jesus, you are living, we are invited to live, I should say, a life of love and joy and hope and peace right now. Right now, in a broken and fallen world, we are invited to live the Jesus life. And man, my one prayer for Christians right now, I'm over time, but you're at the second service, sorry. Um, which means I get to go to lunch. Um, that uh, my prayer for Christians right now is that we would do better. We live in a broken and fallen world right now, and we should not be contributing to the chaos. We should not be contributing to the anger. We should not be con contributing to the disunity. We should be contributing what Jesus has called us to contribute, his love, his joy, his hope, and his peace. We must do better. Home audience, we must do better. We need Christians to step into the Jesus life and live the life he has called us to. I know it's hard when politically things are in chaos and culturally things are in chaos and morally things are in chaos, but that has been, the, that has been at points different chapters in, in the world that, that Christians have lived through, and this is our chapter. What do you want our chapter to say about us? That we gave in and, and just joined the anger? You want that to be our chapter? I don't. You want to be the chapter to be the, the church of Jesus, gave into the anger, gave into the disunity, gave into the hatred. I don't want that to be what is written about our chapter. I want our chapter, and I'm talking about the Global Sea Church right now, not just Northwest. I want our chapter to be that, man, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the difficulty, in the middle of the anger, the church of Jesus Christ rose up and showed a different way. This is the life he's inviting us to. So here's what I want you to see. He's the manna. He's the manna. He is the bread that came down from heaven. And he offers us a rich and satisfying life. And anyone and everyone who wants it, it is available to them. So verse 31 is where it turns a little bit odd. I want to close with this. Where um, Jesus starts telling his disciples, he's carrying out this illustration of he is the bread. Right? But a lot of people miss the illustration. They couldn't get past the idea that in the Moses story, that the Messiah was going to be the Moses and he was going to do something. He was going to bring bread in some way. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm the bread. You kind of miss the illustration, but just a little bit, but it kind of makes a big difference. And then starting in verse 31, Jesus carries it further. And he says, unless they eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And this is Jesus's way of saying, inviting us into relationship. He says, man, if I'm the bread of heaven, Eat that bread. 
If, I, if I'm the bread of heaven, eat that bread. But the graphic nature of the illustration caused many to turn away from Jesus. Like this sermon, point four of this, I like points one and three, Jesus, one, two, and three. Point four got a little weird, right? Hey, by the way, uh, point four, eat my flesh, drink my blood. But Jesus, they just didn't understand the illustration that he is the bread. So they thought he was promoting cannibalism or something like that. So everybody leaves. They're done with Jesus. And he turns to Peter and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter says the most extraordinary thing of faith that I think can be said. Here's what he says. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So Jesus is preaching a sermon and by the end of it, the whole crowd's gone. They've all gone away, except for his disciples. He turns to Peter, you leaving too? Where would we go, Jesus? You have the words of eternal life. And he does. He is the bread that came down from heaven and he is offering you an extraordinarily satisfying life and he's inviting you to follow him. Will you do it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his invitation. We thank you that he is the manna that came down. That life is found not in all the what's that we have, the things that we want Jesus to do, although it's fine to articulate that and you want to hear that, but um, a lot of that times we're asking for stuff that spoils. We realize that Jesus is, wants to do an extraordinary work in our world and in our lives, but we have to follow him. So I pray right now that we would follow you, Jesus. Everywhere that you're leading us, that we would follow you. And we thank you for grace when we fall short. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the truth that anyone that comes to you, you'll take, you'll forgive, and you'll give them an extraordinary life. Thank you again for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, for the example that it shows us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together. It's under your chair. And this is an opportunity for us to thank Jesus for being the bread. The little top part of your cup reminds us that Jesus is the bread that came down from heaven. He is our bread. He gives us a rich and satisfying life. And it's an opportunity for us to thank him for being the bread, for, to thank him for his blood that forgives our sin and gives us a life beyond meaning. And just an opportunity, if you've, maybe you're like, man, I've been trusting, all, I've been trusting in the what's, what I want him to do more than the who. I've been trusting what more than who. This is an opportunity for us to just kind of repent and return to him and say, Jesus, I, I trust in you. You are what I need. I mean, I got a bunch of stuff that I want you to do. Sure, I, we all do. We all have our lists, right? This is what I want you to do. But we remember that we want to trust in the who. We want to trust in who Jesus is. So it's our opportunity to remember that. So you can receive communion whenever you're ready. Just spend some time with Jesus. Thank him for being the bread that came down from heaven. Thank him for being our manna. And then uh, whenever you're done, you're dismissed. Thank you for coming.